Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cryptic Cocktail Party, a show where we have a few drinks, share a few laughs, take a dive into the unknown. I'm your host Dave and today I'm joined once again by the creator and CEO of MetaZoo, Mike Waddell. What's going on, man? Not much, not much. Uh, I appreciate you willing to do this so late, especially since you're sick. Yeah, dude, it's it's fine. I got to take the day off and just kind of sweat it out on my couch, but you know, it is what it is. It's just the life of a podcaster, you know, you got to work through the ups and downs. But uh, but how you doing, man? You doing good? How's how's life in New York treating you? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's supposed to be winter, but it is uh, 60 degrees and rainy outside. Yeah, I live in Philly and that's what it was like all weekend. It was just super warm and super rainy. I, I, I personally love the cold and I like I like when it snows. So I, I grew up in Brazil and we never got snow. So uh i love the four seasons and so the like it only snowed once last year and it was barely any snow and you know when i moved to new york i was promised false promise (laughs) um that it'd be like a snowy winter wonderland and magical but it's just it's gross here so anyway it's what all the all the hallmark hallmark movies promise that every winter is just snows and christmas trees but it's not yeah you know i i'm originally from new hampshire so we got all four seasons and then we moved to philly and i was like oh we're not that far from the northeast like it should but no it's been i think it snowed once last year and it was like half an inch of snow yeah it's so my my disappointment is immeasurable and very upset (laughs) but you know here's the i'm going i'm going down to florida for christmas at the end of the week uh and i suspect that of course it will snow when i leave um 100 percent that's the curse. <laughs> that's that's the always water. how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so before we begin, uh, I have a story to tell you real quick. Yeah. I don't know if you. I don't know if you remember the last time you were on. It was like the sixth episode we ever did. It was like in March, I think. Um. Yeah. Geez. So I think it was more just like discussing the story of MetaZoo, and and it was it was chill. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to hear a fun story. So after after that video, that interview concluded, I was like super stoked. Was like, hell yeah, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to put it out. And then that morning I go outside to get ready to go to work and my car isn't oh. where I parked it. And I was like, oh shit, maybe it got, a t- got towed because I do park it in the back <laughs> of a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> so I called the number. They're like, we have no idea what we're talking about. Like you're talking about that car. Never even get calls for back there. And so I called the police. Turns out my car was stolen either during our interview or directly after we got Look, done talking. I'm not saying <laughs> that I was involved. Um, and, you know, but I'm, I'm just, you know, it, if I were to be involved, I was just there for distraction and, and I'm not liable for anything. Well, that's what I, t- I was like. He, he made me get my guard <laughs> down and he's the reason why my yeah. car is stolen now. But yeah, so it was like one of the best days of my life just followed up by like the most stressful two months of my life after that. But were you able to find it or f- did you file police? Oh yeah, I know they found it two days later and it was completely totaled. They, whoever drove it, like was driving it over like fucking fire hydrants and shit. And they bumped, like they racked up, I think like f- almost a thousand dollars in like red light camera bills that went to my house and I had to fight them. It was all bad. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I had a similar thing with my car, but it was my friends driving it and my, my brother driving um, <laughs> and, and racking up, you know, red light uh, fines and stuff. So that was fun. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's the price you pay for living in the big city, you know? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you hear what they're doing with New York with the, um, I think it's oh, like the, con- 
seventeen dollars every time you pass over or something like that. Yeah, the yeah the congestion lights or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. good lord, that's gnarly, dude. That's so yeah. fucked up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> so I'm never driving my car again. And yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, you know. All right, Michael. Do you like Mike or Michael? I don't even know. Uh, either or. All right, Michael. Today I have an episode for you. Now I gave you two options before we started recording and you chose the first option for now. We'll see if it leads into the second one, but today I'm going to tell you since it's Christmas time, one of my favorite Christmas cryptid folkloric tales. Do you, okay. do you know, are you familiar with any like besides like Krampus? Are there any other ones that you're familiar with? So I know some Brazilian ones. Okay. Um, but I don't think there are too many here in the U S are there? No, there's, pretty much none <laughs> yeah i mean other than like maybe the dutch brought some over or something like that but um or maybe some down in louisiana but i'm pretty sure our our christmas folklore is pretty much santa and coca-cola pretty much yes um well today michael we're gonna be going to iceland okay Ooh. so christmas time it's a magical time of year where we gather with our loved ones celebrate the birthday of a demigod uh get absolutely ripped on like spiked eggnog at the christmas office party and partake in rampant capitalism just to you know end up disappointing your friends and family with a gift of like 7-eleven scratch tickets that you put in a card because you're too lazy to wait in line at target that's what christmas is for me anyways i don't know about you but for the most part christmas time isn't supposed to be like a nightmare fueled murder fest caused by hideous monsters that want nothing more to do than like torment your children at least not here in the states like like we said, um, we've all heard of Krampus, the humanoid horned goat demon of Central and Eastern European folklore that likes to beat children with a switch and then put them in a wicker basket. As he uh, should. And then, and then saving them for a late night Christmas snack. Or Belschnickel of German and Pennsylvania Dutch folklore. So this one kind of is in the area. And it was most famously played by Dwight on The Office. Uh, <laughs> and that seems to be like a running theme in the stories. He also likes to beat children with a stick for misbehaving. But as far as I know, he doesn't eat them, so that's pretty good. That we know of. That we know of. But there is one folkloric Christmas entity that I think has been wildly underrepresented, and as far as I'm concerned, would have made a better horror movie than like Krampus did, because that movie was hot trash. <laughs> uh, and that is the Icelandic ogress known as Gria and her 13 nightmarish children known as the Yule Lads. Are you familiar with them at all? Uh, like the Sky Grimoire, like the, I think so. I, 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 I've heard of the, the Ogress, but not, not the, um, I'm not the, not the 13 Nightmarish. The, the Yule Lads? Oh man, yeah. well, we're going to get into it. All right. So Gria in Icelandic fol folklore was first mentioned in the 13th century in the Prosida. Uh, but in this telling, she wasn't associated with winter or the holiday season at all. She was just like a big, ugly troll lady that lived in a cave. Uh, it wasn't until around the 1800s that she was first associated with Christmas in the poem titled Poem of Gria, uh, which got into the details of her and like her 13 children, uh, who were just the fucking worst. So, <laughs> Gria. Early descriptions of her, and there are many descriptions of her throughout the years. Some say she has like two heads, 15 tails. She has like two eyes on the back of her head. I don't know. But this one source described her as an ugly, wretched giantess 
who lived in a small hut on the edge of town who would basically just mosey around the village and beg, trick, or trade parents for their children so she could boil them alive and eat them. And the more that those children were basically just like little shits, the better they tasted to her. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> um, not much Christmas cheer in that. No, none of this. There's no, we'll get into it, but most of these like monsterish Christmas creatures, there's like a reward and punishment system. With this, there's none of that. It's just all bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like we, we get coal. Um, and Iceland gets a giant, uh, an ogress that eats your children. Yeah. And they barely get a Santa, but we'll get into that. <laughs> now <laughs> it's said that she would be pleased with offerings of other food gifts, but for the most part, the townsfolk just didn't like the idea of a giant cannibalistic woman trying to eat their kids. Mm. Uh, so they banished her to the Dimjörborgir lava fields in Iceland's Northern region. And just like Santa or Krampus or Belschnickel, uh, Gria also has the ability to tell if kids are being good or bad throughout the year. And when the winter months come, she comes down from her lava cave to wander the villages that surround it to just straight up kidnap small children from their homes. So she can bring them back to the cave where she then boils them alive in her cauldron to make children stew. And like I was just saying, the thing about like Krampus, Belschnickel, those kind of things is that there's a punishment reward system in place. Like Krampus is Santa's right hand man. And then Santa rewards, Krampus punishes. Belschnickel is both. He goes, he does like both the rewarding and the punishing. Gria, no rewards. Just wants to straight up eat your kids and <laughs> boil them into a stew. So where are we at so far, Mike? How you feeling about Gria? I'm I'm glad that I'm not Icelandic for, for various reasons. <laughs> um, but... You know, I, I, I kind of like the cool system. I mean, it's good to have like a reward punishment system, but I feel like the murder of children is a little fun. Like, yeah. Um, I was, I was terrified of getting cool as a kid. I can't imagine the existential <laughs> of potentially being eaten um, in gory yeah. detail all the way. Jeez. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll, and we'll get into how fucked up it really is later on because there was a law put in place at one point. Uh, well, I mean, like, pretty metal that she lived in, like, lives in the lava fields rather yeah, than then, like the forest she's like oh yeah no I'm, my hut's in the, the lava fields wow and the name <laughs> the name of the lava field is Dimu Borgir which is actually the name of like a really like brutal satanic uh, black metal band which makes it even better <laughs> <laughs> alright so I, th I think I need to clarify something and I know I said that the more they bis misbehaved the better the kids tasted to her but that doesn't mean she only took the worst of the worst if your kid all right, for example, let's say just one time out of the year, someone sneezed near your kid and they didn't say, like, God bless you. Fucking he's getting scooped. And she will take any kid who isn't pretty much like a saint. And her goal is to get enough kids to make a stew big enough so that it lasts her the whole year until it's time to do it again. So she's basically, this is like her meal prep phase of the year. It's just right. <laughs> the Christmas so, time. She likes canning. She likes yeah, to can. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, she's a pickler. She's a jammer. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so where do the lads come in? The Yule lads. Oh man, we're getting there. So a fun fact about Gria is that for as hideous a monster she is, she did end up finding love uh, a few oh. times actually. Because according to legend, she and her no good lazy bones third husband named and I'm going to butcher this, Lapaludi, and he is the father to their thirteen children, known as the Yule lads. 
Now, the Yule Lads are basically 13 mischievous Santa Clauses that visit the home of children during the 13 days leading up to the Yule. So, and each one gets their own day. So what happens is, is children will place their shoes upon their windows. And for the good boys and girls, the Yule Lad of the day, like of today, will leave candy or a small gift. If they decide your kid kind of sucks, they'll stuff the shoe with rotting potatoes. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of like coal. Right, uh, right. But like most horrible things over time, they've been kind of toned down over the years from their origins. Uh, unlike Gria, who is still just like a straight up nightmare. Uh, were, the, like, were, were the Yule Lads mischievous back in the day? Sure. Were they also unhinged, terrifying, hag-looking monsters capable of theft, loot acts, and maybe murder? Also sure. Uh, at least to the first two. And here's what sucks is I couldn't really find anything on how creepy they used to be. Just a bunch of like articles saying that they used to be nightmare fuel. But apparently that's because the stories were so frightening that in 1746, parents were officially banned by Icelandic law from, quote, tormenting their kids with monster stories about these particular creatures, end quote. So if anyone yeah. listening knows where I can find these stories, please email me because I need to know. It kind of goes to show like the the, the psychological terror probably had yeah. an, like lasting impact on society. Like. But what's uh, wild is that is that is that's in 1746. There's probably so much worse things fucking up your kids back then. Yeah, I mean, than and, these stories. And from like a, I guess you could say like an anthropological or like a societal viewpoint, it probably gave parents uh, a, a, an excuse to abuse their kids too. Like, oh, probably. Yeah, and and so I would imagine that that was kind of the the reality of it, which is like. Some parents are taking this way too far and then using the excuse of, of it being, you know, Christmas time and you lads say it's all in good fun. Well, they probably did some pretty horrible things. Oh, a hundred percent. But also at the same time, it's 1746. There was kids fighting in wars back. You know what I mean? Like, they, I, feel, I feel like they, people just not give a fuck about kids back then. <laughs> um, yeah. Being a kid, you know, one of my favorite, have you ever seen an interview with a vampire with yeah. uh, Brad Pitt? Like one of the, my favorite quotes from it is like opening scene and Lestat is like, I was 17 at the time. And by then I was a grown man. And it's like, yeah, kind of, you know, back in the day, you, oh, yeah. even before puberty, you had like, depending on the household, you had uh, adult duties. Um, yeah, dude, even back then, like you, if you might've been a man at 17, but you were like a full grown woman at 13. And like, as soon as you could produce a child, you were. Like it was super fucked up back then. Yeah, it was. Um, and you see like videos and photos of, of quote unquote kids like oh, on the streets. Haggard. They looked so old. It's <laughs> so sad. All right. Well, let's, let's you know, dive into something a little less sad. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, today the Yule lads, they're basically just like Snow White Seven Dwarves. And by that, I mean, they have all the very distinct, they have like all of a very distinct and very specific personality and a pretty on the nose name that kind of accompanies that personality. Like, I think like sleepy, dopey, that kind of stuff. Right. So you want to find out what these dudes are all about? Yes, sir. All right. So we got sheep coat Claude. His whole thing is that he likes to sneak into farmer sheep sheds and then suck on sheep's nipples. <laughs> and he also has a peg leg. Next up, we got Gullyhawk, and he enjoys stealing the foam from the buckets of cow milk. No, we got we got <laughs> we got Stubby. Uh, he's a short king that likes to steal food from frying pans. Uh, spoon licker, pretty self-explanatory. He's a thief and likes to lick spoons. 
uh, pot scraper, aka pot liquor. Again, he'll steal your unwashed pots and lick them clean. And then we have a lot of these involve licking. We have bowl liquor. Uh, his whole thing is that he will steal bowls of food from out from under your bed because I guess back in the day, Icelanders used to store foods like bowls of food under their bed. I don't know. Uh, we got a uh, door slammer. This is the most annoying one, in my opinion. All he does is stomp around and slam doors all through the night like a bad roommate, just like keeping you up all night. Uh, skier gobbler. He likes to eat your yogurt. Sausage swiper. Uh, loves to eat sausage, especially stolen sausage. So wow. he steals and eat your sausage. And then, oh, fuck, we got window peeper. <laughs> he likes to creep around the outside of your house. So he tells you, he's the least popular one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> then we got then we got door sniffer. Uh, <laughs> he's got a big nose that he will use to sniff out bread from under doors. Uh, meat hook. He carries a hook and steals any meat you got hanging around. And then we got Candle Beggar. Uh, he steals your candles, which apparently were super rare and sought out, like sought after during the time. Uh, but yes, but those those are the Yule Lads, and they're all kind of fucked up. Yeah, the the the, uh, the window peeper. Yeah, um, right. It, you know the the sausage stealer is is I mean, that's annoying, but the uh, the window peeper I think is a menace. It needs to be stopped. Yeah, he's definitely not an ideal character to have around, especially around your children. Fuck, man. This is like this is technically a children's story. <laughs> it's like one's like, I steal the foam from milk. I I lick your bowls at night. And then the guy's like, I peep into your house through your windows and stare at you while you sleep in chain clothes. <laughs> it's like, geez, I'm down, dude. Like, Yeah, he's a deviant and must be stopped at all costs. Now, <laughs> now there's another thing that I forgot to mention. Uh, we talked about Mama Gria the deadbeat dad and the 13 nightmare children. Uh, but to close out this segment, uh, we have, we have to talk about the family pet known as the Yule cat. Now the Yule cat is the house pet of Gria and her sons. Uh, and honestly, I think the Yule cat is the most fucked up part about this whole story. So the Yule cat is a monstrously huge cat that appears on Christmas Eve and silently stalks the villages while everyone is asleep. Assumably, dreaming about sugar plums or something. Now, this massive black feline does not care whether you are young or old, good or bad. It will just straight up fucking eat you. Like this thing ventures out once a year and just chooses violence every time. And the only thing that can assure you won't be getting disemboweled by a demon cat, and I don't know, but somehow it knows this, is that if you receive at least one article of new clothing for Christmas, he will not eat you. So, you know... I guess don't complain if you get socks for Christmas, I yeah, guess, because yeah. that's the, that seems to be the, um, propaganda. <laughs> uh, cause everyone complains about socks. I love socks now that I'm older, obviously, but, oh, yeah. um, I can imagine if you're a kid in Iceland, but like what, what kind of toys would they be getting? It's like, here's a walrus tusk. Where like, <laughs> right, here, here's some socks. I mean, socks would have to rank pretty high up, right? Like in terms of riveting gifts that you yeah. can get. I feel like in like 13th century Iceland, I feel like any sort of survival, like basically basic necessities would be like a godsend to anyone back then. Yeah. Um, Maybe not so much now, but I mean, back then that was probably a huge get. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, that that is the story 
Agria and the Yule Lads and their fucking nightmarish cat. How you feeling about it? I'm surprised I've ever heard of it. You know, in, in the recesses of my mind, Yule Lads sounds familiar. Um, but I'm sure that there are other Yule Lads out there. You know, it's just one of those, you know, those names that is very Christmassy and describes elven-like creatures. Yeah, uh, they they do look like I don't know if you like the Icelandic gnomes. Like they just kind of look like that, but there's 13 of them, so they do kind of look like little elves. But also with the name Yule Lads, you think they'd be way more chill. Yeah, <laughs> like Yule Lads uh, is such like that's what you call your boys when you go out like for an ugly Christmas sweater party. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, or it's like a, a a band that makes fun of Christmas songs or something like that. Um, oh shit, I bet that has to exist. There's no way that doesn't exist. Um, the, or like an OnlyFans, you know, <laughs> so, uh, no, I've never heard of that. We definitely got to be making that into a, a Christmas card. Uh, that'd be a cool little series. And like have, they have all 13 Yule Lads, but on separate cards and have them somehow work in tandem together if they're all on the field together. Yeah. Like go lick somebody's bowl or seal their socks. At- <laughs> uh, why do we have to make them so creepy? That's my yeah, I question. I don't know. I mean, uh, it kind of goes, I feel like all of, I because my grandparents used to live in Iceland, and for some reason, every year for Christmas, they would get my older sister these, like, Icelandic, like, gnome troll, like, carving statues and stuff like that, and they were all fucking nightmarish, and she's, like, 12 at the time, <laughs> like, like, nothing about it seems fun. Well, I guess if you look at it, like, Elf on the Shelf is, is kind of terrifying, right? Um <laughs> Like, it, it moves, like, what is it? It moves if you, um, I, all I see, like, I see TikToks of kids screaming in terror uh, when, like, <laughs> when parents show them videos of, like, of them, like, off camera moving the elf on the shelf and, like, the elf is, like, stealing, like, cereal and stuff. So, like, elf on the shelf is, is terrifying. Oh, my dog's barking on second. Yeah, it's all good. My dogs are doing that downstairs right now, so. Uh, what what is the like? There's a creepy aspect to it, though. What is it? Um, I, I the only thing I'm I know like, about Elf on the Shelf is that I think they're meant to cause trouble. Yeah, so, yeah. I th- I think the point of Elf on the Shelf was that it was supposed to be like like a baby cam for Santa. Like he's always watching uh, you to uh, make sure you're doing good, but then he also gets up to mischief mischief himself. So I don't understand the point of it. All right, so I'm like, once everyone goes to bed. The scout elf, the elf on the shelf, <laughs> flies back to the North Pole to report to Santa the activities, good and bad. So he's basically Santa's eyes. Yeah. Uh, he's a fucking snitch is what he is. And, and by <laughs> by hiding in a new spot around the house each morning, the scout play, the, the, the elf plays an envoy game of hide, hide and seek with the family. Guys, relax. <laughs> um, and... Gotcha. So it's like he's a snitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's the he's the 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 Christian version of this fucking window peeper. You will add. Oh wait. Well, so the magic. Um, oh, he's magic now one, too. Yeah, there's only one rule that you have to follow. So I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please don't touch me. My magic might go, and Santa won't hear all I've seen or I know. Yeah, that's terrifying. If I were a kid, Wait, so the kid, the kids aren't allowed to touch it, or else it's not going to report back to Santa if you've been good. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of like that's like gaslighty shit, kind of. <laughs> and that thing is like living in your house and moving around the house as a kid. 
So like, yeah. if I were, if I were like six years old, I'd be terrified of it. Yeah, that's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so so there we go. In, in American tradition, right there, something that's creepy and nanny state like and um, a little messed up. And that's like relatively new, right? Like that wasn't always a thing. I, they didn't have that when I was a kid. It's a 2005 book. It's like a children's book from 2005. Think about that. Okay. Um, it's not even 20 years old. Do you, do you think in like 200 years there's going to be a podcast like mine where they're going to be going over the fucking creepiness of the elf like, on the shelf? Elf on the shelf sniffing panties and and yeah, <laughs> stealing uh, Santa's cookies so Santa doesn't leave gifts and yeah, it's all messed up. It's all uh, bad. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's... Time, it'll be creepy. Oh, 100%. Give it, yeah, give it at least like 100 years and we'll all look back on it and be like, wow, that was a really fucked up era. <laughs> in our <laughs> in our society but uh but yeah man that's the uh that's the story i don't know how much time you got but if if you want to we can uh either end it here or we can go into some questions from uh from some followers we can do uh like 10 minutes of questions yeah you want to do a couple of questions all right so this uh the idea came from one of my followers on instagram and uh, i think it was caster crew htx came with the idea so what i did is I asked some followers if they had any questions for you. And what I did is I put them on a big wheel. So we're just going to spin the wheel, see what question comes up, and then you can either answer it or we can move on to the next one. All right. Dope. Okay. Uh, after a night out on the town, let's say you went out, a couple beers, what's your what's your go-to, like, I need to sober up drunk meal? Um, it's usually um, pizza. Pizza's your go-to one? I guess that's, yeah, but there's pizza everywhere in New York. You can just walk up to any window and just get. Right, yeah. There's, there's a place right next to me that's uh, it's like Ray, Ray's Pizza or something. Like, hey, Rocky, relax. Ray's Pizza. Um, and it's, you know, decent drunk pizza food. Um, or if I'm if I'm too lazy to do even that, I'll I'll just order like a bunch of stuff from 7-Eleven. Hell yeah, uh, there you go. And, you know, and just make bad decisions with that food. Oh, yeah. That that usually ends with, like, the worst gut rot you ever had in your entire life. But usually that's the next morning. So you don't have to worry about it immediately. In the moment, it feels great. Yeah, yeah. And so, 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 so sober you versus, you know, you in that moment. They're separate people. So really, you're not you're not undermining yourself. You're undermining the person that wakes up in the morning. Drunk me, drunk me is a completely different part. We, we're not related at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, the next question is: Is uh, you've been to your fair share of cons, cryptid festivals, and like trade shows? What's what's like the wildest thing you've ever experienced while attending one of those? Um, it's a good question. So this happened at Cryptid Con twenty twenty one. There was a, and you know, this speaks to the kind of the the power of what Metazoo is doing. But there's a woman there, and we were we were handing out Nightfall cards there and, and booster mm. packs there was a woman there with no connection um i believe i think she was british to any of the underlying folklore um that's associated with the wendigo yeah who was very 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 upset <laughs> that we had wendigo um on our booster packs and she was like you don't know the power of it like you're what? you're Basically, like satanic, you know, 
Um, it's not. It's not a Satan thing, though. See, <laughs> but but that but that level of of like superstition, right? Where it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, you know, hey, you know, so the so that was that was pretty crazy, understandable, right? Like a lot of people do take this stuff seriously, and and yeah, uh, you know, we're tapping into that and 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 trying to make it more accessible and normalized because I, I think it, it's awesome to be able to do that. And, and I think we are seeing a, a boom in the cryptid community. Like Mothman Festival this year, I had like 20,000 people at it. And the years before that, it was like a couple thousand. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, but you're going to, you're going to hit those awkward moments where you come across somebody that truly, truly, truly believes this stuff and all the associated yeah. mythologies. Are- and they're mad that you're, that you're invoking it and not like treating it with the proper respect. Yeah. As they- right. Um, but there's no way around that, you know. Um, I'm sure that Pokemon had activists um, against. And I mean, I know well, for that. Well, they had Peta. Yeah. yeah. Now that I think about it, um, so so you're never going to be able to please everybody. But but to see that encounter in person was uh, interesting, you know, because you hear about it online. But dude, I re- I remember that whole, I remember the whole Peta thing, and they came out with some really fucked up like comic book or like webtoon or something like that, and it was like super fucked up and they were like marketing towards children like it it was like really bad (laughs) yeah peter interesting um and you know anyway so i'm trying to think of other other crazy experiences um i just love that she was british she had nothing to do with like native america like if anything yeah no she she's the reason why some of those mythologies don't exist well not her but like yeah the british are the reason why a lot of those things are wiped out now true and yeah that survivor's guilt that's what it is <laughs> and this stuff this stuff is so delicate right i mean think about this like fearsome critters mm. you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people know what fearsome critters are because of metas yeah where before it was a dying folklore there were only a few books published about it in the early 1900s and they probably they, they were disappearing like a lot of the lumberjack war so with how delicate these things are it's almost like a forgotten language right like their languages yeah. die out because nobody speaks speaks them anymore right are you ever are, this, this isn't the next question but i do have a follow like are you ever worried that the lore of metazoo is going to get people confused with the actual lore of the actual cryptids in the game so I, i've been giving that a lot of thought right because it's good that you're it's good that you're bringing the cryptids to the forefront of everything but the lore of metazoo isn't quite what you, you yeah because you continue you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question, right? Because so so there are a few ways of handling that. One is by trying to stay true to the core of the mythology behind uh, each cryptid. So yeah. you know, representing it in a good like you know, no, but nobody knows this, but like in the manga, for instance, when we encounter Piazza Bird, he's still embedded in the um, or or recently escaped from the rock face that he is in in Illinois, right? Yeah. Like. And so, so you, you touch on that and you, you, you kind of bring that story to life because a lot of the stories for, I would say 95% of these cryptids, um, they're not well fleshed out. Yeah. There's right? not a lot there. <laughs> there's not a lot there. Right. Yeah. There was like an incident one night in like 1953, uh, of a bunch of drunk dudes, you know, firing at, at empty cans and they saw, you know, a little critter fly across them and they're like it's a cryptid and and, yeah. and that's sense the story right that's, um, that's pretty much the story of like the enfield monster <laughs> exactly right you yeah. know and, and so 
But then I also look at like, all right, where has this historically happened in the past, right? So you have something like Lord of the Rings, which has a lot of ancient folklore in it from, you know, yeah. everything from elves to goblins and the dragons. These things predate Lord of the Rings by a considerable amount, right? Um, and, and they have mythologies and history that predate, you know, the Lord of the Rings being written. Now, when people think of orcs, do they think about Lord of the Rings? I, I would say yeah. they already do, right? But they also yeah. might think of Warhammer 40K. They might think of uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah. They might think of, you know, any number of things that, that orcs have shown up in. But the I think under- it, it, it all just depends on what level of nerd you're at. <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the understanding is that these things are, you know, public domain and they're public domain because these are parts of the mythology of Europe, right? Yeah. Um, like no one's going to think that G- the concept of genie comes from Aladdin, right? Um, like the Disney movie. They, 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 yeah, true. <laughs> they, they probably most know like, hey, the, the concept of, of the genie came from some mythology out of, you know, certain Arabic countries, right? Yeah. Uh, and so they, their mind goes to a well-written, well-known um, story that is fictional first, but the underlying un- understanding is that there's something real that backs it. So in order to facilitate that in the story, you know, um, the cryptids are all named. Um, we're thinking about adding things that are like, you know, the actual backstory behind the cryptid, um, you know, newspaper clippings and stuff like that to the back of the manga. But, you know, what a lot of this stuff is going to be is, is they'll, they'll read about it in the manga. They'll research the character and they'll see, oh shit, like the Loveland Frogman <laughs> is not just a, uh, you know, wise mentor in this story yeah. that like, there's actually a true story behind all this stuff. And there's even, you know, a, a museum and there's a castle and the castle's real. Oh my gosh. And so MetaZoo has that power where it's like you can actually look up the characters that you fall in love with in the, in the manga and the story and the lore and, and realize that it's actually happening right now. Like it's folklore in action. <laughs> that's a good, that's a great answer. I do, I do like that you're trying to weave in the, tr- like the actual story with the lore of MetaZoo because it is. I mean, I guess Metazoo is a good, if you don't know anything about cryptids, you'd want to look, if you know that they're already based off real things, you, if you're interested enough, you will seek out the actual story. Right. And and, and just by virtue of a Google search, you know, Loveland yeah. Frogman might end up being the first Google result uh, or Mothman, you know, but, yeah. when you, but when you search for it, like the second, third, fourth, Hell, even the first result might be, you know, the actual story and links to all these different things, and yeah, um, that would that's that's kind of, again the kind of so so by connecting the dots or, or connecting it back to its actual backstory, it actually helps us build a world um, that is m- much more like interconnected and deeply, you know, emotionally like relatable uh, yeah. because these things actually exist in the real world oh, it's almost awesome. like if pokemon were real it's like if, if i search for charizard 
or if I search for Bulbasaur and it's like, oh shit, like people think that, that in Japan, this little Bulbasaur creature is actually running around and their museum is dedicated to it. Like that would, that would have added so much more depth to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Um, all right. Perfect answer. Now I have an, now I do have a question about MetaZoo for real. Not that it wasn't, that wasn't about it for real, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, as sets are being developed, uh, do some like cryptids, spells, et cetera, not make the final cut? And if so, what were some of the ones that you liked that maybe didn't make it into a set or maybe you ended up using them for like a different set instead? So I think the sample cards are a good example of this where you look at the sample cards and I think it was up until UFO maybe, um, and maybe even seance where some of the sample cards didn't show up until then. Right. Yeah. So, um, there's with the base set, it was, there's no, uh, dominant aura, right. Where like it was a base set, like what a base set should be. It was all the auras equally represented, uh, introducing the game and the game that I had to play on my part was like, all right, do I put all the coolest cryptids and stories in this first set? Yeah. And leave, leave everything else, you know, all the other sets that, that, uh, succeeded, uh, without any of their big bangers. Right. But then the, the flip side of that is you potentially neuter the base set by not making it cool. And then no future sets exist because the first set wasn't cool enough. Right. Yeah. Um, so you so had to I, found, found like a good balance and yeah. then also want people like wanting more or else they wouldn't return kind of thing. Exactly. Like, you know, gotcha. what would, what would, uh, Nightfall be without, you know, the Wendigo, right? Yeah. And yeah, Mothman made a second appearance, but like, you know, the, or, or the Headless Horseman, imagine if those two showed up in base set and we took that stopping power out of, out of Nightfall, right? Um, yeah. and the same thing goes for, um, you know, Wilderness and UFO. We had to, UFO, we had to essentially reprint like the Flatwoods monster, right? Yeah. Uh, and, but that Flatwoods monster is significantly less popular than the base set one, right? So, oh, see, I, UFO, I love, I love the UFO Flatwoods monster, but it's not the classic design though. That's the issue, right? No. And, and I love it too, but, and also there's a typo on the <laughs> UFO one. <laughs> Yeah, this is Washington instead of West Virginia. Yeah, we, we we're notorious for our uh, <laughs> our geo info being uh, yeah. Well, you but got he, it right on all the other Flatwoods monsters, so I mean, you get a pass on that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, it's it, so it's interesting, right? Like the every cryptid that I wanted to show up showed up. I mean, if you think about, it, we have War, um, and that's the final set of the of the block. Yeah. Uh, and then are there cryptids that were left out that would have been really cool? Absolutely. Um, did I discover them after my initial research? Most most of it, most of the cool ones I discovered happened yeah. after initial research, right? And after yeah, I mean, this, that's not to say that you can't go back at at well, some point. You know what I mean? Well, the final block that we have planned, right? So we have Cryptonation, Yokai Island, uh, Grimm's yeah. Kingdom. And then we have Cryptid World, right? Which is an amalgamation of, of everything. Um, we're going to have all sorts of of cryptids that 
our North American base that didn't show up in the first block that show up in that. Right. So there's always, there's always time, right. Um, to, to do those kinds of things. But the reality is, is that the, the cryptid lore is, is continuously evolving. Right. When we get to crypto world, I mean, it might take us 10 years to get there, 10, 15 years. Right. You're telling me that there won't be new cryptids that show up in the meantime. (laughs) Of course there will be. That's that's valid. There's there's always something weird happening. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, just look at the, um, the Mexican government, I believe it was Mexican government and their little, uh, aliens that they had like a a congressional meeting about. Oh, the Uh, mummy thing. You know what I found out about that? I found out that that wasn't actually a congressional hearing. It was basically a town hall where anyone could go to. And that dude who presented those mummies, this is like the third time he's tried to present, quote, alien mummies. And the two times before that, he was found out as a fraud and they were fake. So I do not trust <laughs> that guy. But but it went viral and, and, and yeah. you know, became a cryptid, right? Essentially, functionally became cryptid. So yeah. it's a living and breathing folklore, right? Um, and so, you know, it's our job over the years to, to keep track of these things and, and make sure that the coolest ones are represented and the most important ones are represented. But, you know, the, um, moving region to region allows us to kind of, to open it up a bit, open it up a bit, have a base set. That's like, yeah. you know, the base set of Yokai Island will have to have that same balance because the, the history of Yokai and, and, and Japan is, as rich, if not richer, than cryptids in the U.S., right? So, because right. those have been going back for centuries, hundreds. yeah. Um, and 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 so you know, it's it's. You know, people always ask, like, are we going to run out of cryptids? And the answer is absolutely not, because I don't it's think a, you can, you can. The good, th- the good thing about MetaZoo too is that you don't focus solely on cryptids. You got ghosts. You got like you got like paranormal beings. You even got Hatman, who like is just like a fucking dream demon. Like yeah, <laughs> it's not just cryptids. You, I mean, there's the paranormal world is so fucking vast and massive that and ever evolved. Like, yeah, you'll never not have something. Like I remember, I don't know if you guys ever finished them, but there was the like the Beastie Ambassador thing where you had like uh, Leorna, the Drop Bear, uh, yeah. Loch Ness. I think was another one. And the did you was there a Gin one? Yeah, there was. I can't remember, but like those were cool. And like, at least you, at least that shows that, you know, that almost every region of the world has their own, you can't run out. There's no way <laughs> like it's impossible. Right. And, 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 and if it ever gets to that point where we're really, really scraping, uh, scraping bottom barrel, that's not going to happen for decades and decades and decades. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, there's too much out there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we could do an entire set of blocks just on, brazil's folklore right like um and i think that assumption that people have that we're going to run out it comes from a place of not knowing how complex other countries are and how rich their histories are and you know these the underlying assumption where it's like oh there there couldn't possibly be as rich a, a cryptid folklore uh in brazil as there is in the u.s and it's like like, why do you say that? Well, Brazil is just, you know, beaches and coconuts. And it's like, no, <laughs> Brazil is an ignorant. <laughs> right. But, 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 but because they're percept, they don't know enough about these countries. Yeah. But if you sit back and you're like, Hey, these countries are just as complex. 
Um, a lot of them been around for a lot longer than the U.S. has. So yeah. it stands to reason that they have folklore mythologies just as rich and robust and extensive, if not more, than the U.S. has. And then once you realize that, it really opens up the the world, for better, for lack of a better term. Like, we're, we're never going to run out of cryptids. Uh, yeah. It's never it's never a possibility. And what's, what's wild about, like, other countries, like, America's cryptids and, like, paranormal stuff is relatively tame compared to a lot of other countries, like, folklore and stuff. Like, we did an episode on, uh, like, a Filipino folklore called the Mananagal, which is, like, a nightmarish lady who rips herself in half at night and just lets her entrails trail behind her while she sits outside your window and uses a straw-like tongue to suck out <laughs> your brains and stuff. Oh. Like, American folklore, as far as, like, cryptids and stuff goes, is the most tame so if they want like banger folklore from other countries, you can easily, easily provide that for them. You know what I mean? Like it's wild. Yeah. And and, and so, you know, I, I think if people broaden their horizons about what constitutes a cryptid, like yeah. in terms of its function in society, right? An unexplained phenomenon that people believe to exist and to be real and usually with a, a creature associated with it be it a ghost, uh, an alien, demon, um, or something that crawled out of the forest or crawled out from under the earth or fell from the clouds. All those are cryptids, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, kind of, I guess. Technically, right? Like, in I terms guess. of their function, function in society. In, in yeah, society, right? that's fair. Um, like, no one's going to say that, you know, a, a yokai that's a living uh, sandal is the same as you know the as as Mothman, right? But if you yeah. step back and you say, "Well, I mean, the sandal is a story that somebody told about a sandal coming to life because it was really old, and it did a bunch of hijinks around the house." That not that different than people reporting that they they saw you know the Enfield monster in a rose bush, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's technically the same. And if people believe it and propagate the story, then it becomes part of the culture, then its function is the same. Yeah. So I, tr- I tried to do an episode on one of the yokais, and it's my worst performing episode because I either people just, it's so old that people don't, they're like, well, no one believes this now. But like the stories are so good. Like, why would you not want to learn about it? Well, and, and that's the, the people in Japan, because it's so entrenched in their culture, a lot of them actively do believe this stuff. Like the, the the level of belief that people have for something like Bigfoot, yeah, that level of belief applies to so many more creatures in places like Japan. Like you were talking about Iceland before, in a lot of those countries, the active belief that these things are out and about, like fairies and and stuff like that, in a lot of places in the world, they actually like it, it's it's collectively believed that these things exist, um, and it's not like some kooky guy on on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel chasing Bigfoot it's like you talk to any normal person and they might have a story about a fairy that they encountered in the woods uh, or their grandmother did or something like that like so it, it's much more um, normalized in those countries. yeah it's more in, it's more ingrained in their culture and their cultures have been around so much longer than America like you know what I mean like our, we didn't grow up with Bigfoot you know what I mean that that would, didn't become a thing until like the 60s yeah. it wasn't a ingrained in our culture the same way it is like it's, it's not in our belief system other countries these things are so embedded in their belief systems as far as either religion or just like 
culturally that of course they're gonna have put more faith into it than we do say like a bigfoot or a mothman and it's not and with that age comes with how that belief manifests right it shows up more in art it shows up in more in literature it shows up in more in cultural festivals um and 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 all that perpetuates like imagine like we all learned about bigfoot as a kid but maybe like even the chupacabra wasn't around until like what 2005 well that one's kind of iffy because there was a story before that, like before the 90s with like a bat thing. I don't know. It's a, like a vampire thing. It was a whole thing. But yeah. But it was popularized, right? It was yeah, pretty much late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And, and just now we're seeing it show up in beers. We're seeing it show up in shows. You know, one of the first shows that very early on adopted the idea of the Chupacabra was Venture Bros. Um, and, you know, on Adult Swim, they had a Chupacabra jump out of the hangar uh, or the landing gear of, of one of their planes, you know, and it, it, it's killed. And then Brock Samson's like, God damn chupacabras. Every time I go to Mexico, <laughs> they, you know, they, they stow away. Right. So, so now you have kids that grew up watching that and they know what the chupacabra is, right? Like, and, and so with enough time, the stuff gets more ingrained. Um, but just it, like, and I, I, what I do in my free time is I search for books and that mention like the oldest books that I could find in the U S that mention cryptids and you know, cryptozoology is actually a relatively new term, right? It's only been yeah. around decades. So what do you search for? If not cryptids, if you want to find these old books, well, yeah, fearsome critters that are part of the lumberjack or, uh, lore. Um, but then like, what about, what about like before that? Well, you could search like for folklore in the U S but those books only really sh- started showing up like in 1865 plus. Yeah. Um, and they're mostly like old wives sales. Like they're like, um, you know, and, and, and some of them were outright just like racist. Like <laughs> I, I have one book. I'm not have, surprised by that one bit. I have one book, very, very popular book. I think it was published in 1873. And it's one that the first uh, books on American folklore published. And they have an entire chapter dedicated to the wandering Jew. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, all right, okay. Um, but, you know, and so. That book is very much a product of its time, let's just say. Oh, no, of course. Yeah. And and and, and so it's interesting to, but, but it goes to show you that like, it, it's stories like that that are like, have vague undertones, if not outright overtones of, uh, of racism, you know, involving slaves, involving indigenous oh, yeah. populations. And think about it, in the 1800s, 1700s, the most quote-unquote mystical stories you could find around were probably coming from uh, the local indigenous populations, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, even now, though, like, the the legend of the goat man, I think, didn't, he wasn't he, like, a, a freed black man who had a goat farm, and then he was murdered just for being black, and now he just kills people on a bridge, like his vengeful spirit? Oh, the Pope Lick? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's like there's like there's like four different goat yeah. man bridges stories, and they they all pretty much have the same <laughs> story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It so so like this stuff is is it's so new, and and people, um, and it and it hasn't been popularized. I mean, like the until recent. Um, again, you wow. look, you look at Mothman Festival, wow. and 
20,000 people this year versus, you know, a couple thousand in the past two years. Yeah. Uh, so I think that we're really um, at the precipice of, of like a critical mass movement, you know, um, like Moist Critical is starting his own cryptid podcast. Um, oh, dude. Yeah. He's trying, and to like, steal my, trying to steal my thunder, man. He saw your show, dude. He saw your show. And he's, <laughs> it's got to be it. But, 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 you know, it, it's becoming normalized in a way where, and I mentioned this um, a few times in the past, but like, it's no longer just a nerdy pursuit yeah. or shows watch on the history channel when you're traveling in a hotel. Right. Well, um, that has anything to do like, like I know like for a while there's a huge true crime boom when it comes to like content being like absorbed and like over the past few years it's slowly been declining. I wonder if people are tired of hearing about murder. They just want more mystery in their life. I wonder if that has anything. to. It could be. It could be. Um, it could also just be the mass adoption of what people are starting to perceive as folklore that they feel kinship and ownership of because they're here in the U.S., right? Mm. I don't know. I, th- I think we have an interesting decade ahead of us as these things become more normalized and um, it becomes less of a nerdy pursuit to to actively like them. Yeah, and and there's there's a so many more like cryptid festivals popping up. Just like, like okay, you got like Squonkapalooza, like one of <laughs> like I know it's like a like a favorite, but like for the most part, that is the most not known <laughs> cryptid to yeah. ever exist. And it's they're doing their second year now, like. And then, but there's also like, it, it took a while for Loveland Frogman to even get his own festival. Yeah, and and it's gonna happen more and more. I mean, there's a a lizard of Skate or swamp Yo. museum that's popping up, and so you know it, it's it's you're gonna see more and more of these things popping up. And, and my hope is that you know MetaZoo again will be like a lightning rod to to that movement, which is why we're focusing yeah. so much more on cryptid related conventions next year. But I'm telling you, man, like. The past three years were just the spark, and like we're, we're about to to see like a raging fire when it comes to this like stuff. F- full ignition, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, think about it, like your 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 podcast is at the forefront of like you had your podcast a year before Moist Critical had his right, and yeah. so you're really one of those first movers. Um, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, I mean, but but, but you are. I mean, because because think about the thing about it like this, like. It, it doesn't have critical mass appeal yet, right? Yeah. Um, but it it's doesn't have getting, voice critical mass appeal. But it's getting there because of people like most critical, because <laughs> of things like MetaZoo. And and so I really just view MetaZoo, now that I'm seeing this larger movement, I actually view MetaZoo and my inclination to use cryptids as the center of my game as more of a symptom of a larger movement that I was seeing rather than a cause of it, if that makes yeah. sense. No, that, uh, that totally tracks. Yeah. So, but when you recognize that, you recognize that it's not MetaZoo, like it's not MetaZoo's, I wouldn't say responsibility, but like this movement would happen regardless of whether or not MetaZoo existed. Um, MetaZoo is a byproduct of that larger movement that's happening, which is interesting to think about. Um, and, and, and if MetaZoo didn't come up with a TCG, um, like if we weren't the first ones to do it in 2020, somebody, someone would, else, yeah, yeah, someone would have done it. Yeah. But do you, do you, do you think that since there's more of a appreciation and understanding for cryptids and folklore, like, does that weigh more on your decision to try and make the lore of the actual cryptids and folklore more on the forefront of the lore of MetaZoo, just so that people don't come into it thinking they're going to get the full story? Um, it's certainly something that 
it is top of mind for me. But, you know, just by virtue of the fact that all these stories are disjointed, right? I mean, America, America is a is a is a massive hunk of, of land, right? Yeah. People don't realize that like it's deceivingly big. It's it's huge. And yeah. and as that you have all these disjointed stories. And so in order to write anything that's cohesive, I have to connect them in ways that, you know, what I call oh, fiction yeah. blue. Um and and so they're kind of like Lord of the Rings. I'm gonna be taking certain liberties. But I'm also going to be expanding the story. And, you know, people might uh, conflate the story of MetaZoo with Squonk, for instance, and what we tell with the actual story of Squonk. Which uh, there isn't much of with the actual story of Squonk. Exactly. Right? It, it's like it's like one page in a book and there's barely any information on it. it it's a paragraph on it. <laughs> like it, it's, yeah. if you look at the original Fearsome Critter, Fearsome, uh, Critter uh, books, right, by I think Henry Tyson. Or but anyway, so yeah, it was William T. Cox and yeah, Henry yeah. T. Cox, Henry T. Cox and William, no, William T. Cox, yeah, at, <laughs> um, <laughs> published in like what 1911 yeah. and 1908 or something like that. But um, they're each fearsome critter gets half a page and then a really cool illustration and a really cool illustration, right? Yeah, um, and so you know, if if I can keep those stories alive by expanding on them a little bit, but always point back to the original stories. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about a, diff- a few different ways of doing that, right? Like, I want to put out an atlas, so like a book of, of maps Yo. that um, have the original crypto locations on them. It's not connected to MetaZoo lore. That would uh, actually be fucking dope. <laughs> no, but, but it'll, be, it'll be MetaZoo. It'll be the MetaZoo atlas, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but it'll have, so you can reinforce the, the actual history and use the fictional history as a way of, of trumpeting, uh, of championing that, um, that original story. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, we're coming up on an hour. I don't know if you want to do one more question or. One more question to close it out. All right. So I don't know if this is true or not, but I think I read it somewhere that when you were in college, you used to go into the bunny man tunnel to try and hunt for the bunny man. I went out there a few times with my friends. Uh, <laughs> so my, 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 that wasn't the question. That was just me making sure that, so that did actually happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have you, have you ever personally had like a paranormal UFO or like cryptid encounter yourself? I've had a few, uh, paranormal experiences. The most recent one being. I was, this is going to be funny, right? I was, I was cooking, I was cooking pasta for a, a friend of mine. We were Mm -hmm. drinking wine and cooking pasta. Uh, and my, my, uh, apartment is in a building that was built in 1903. So it's old as, as all hell, right? Like, yeah. As far as like old buildings in New York city that are still up and functional, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's one of the few, right? So. We're cooking pasta and I, I was like, you know, the, the friend was Italian and I said, I'm going to don't, don't tell your mother this, but I'm going to break the pasta, the dry pasta and hell <laughs> so it fits yeah. in, in the bowl, in the, in the pan. My friend laughed. And then after in the midst of that, right in between us, we heard a woman's voice say, no, that's not how you do it. Oh, and, God. At first, <laughs> and at first. I I thought that she said that, and I was like, "Do you just say that?" And she's like, "No, but I, I just heard that." And, and and then she repeated what the the voice said in between. Dude, and, and <laughs> we were sufficiently creeped out. Let's just say that. 
Um, I would I would have bailed. I would have been like, "Fuck this! I'm I'm gonna leave all my stuff, and I'm just gonna move." The other thing that has happened in this apartment is I used to see it, but I don't see it anymore. Is I used to see out of the corner of my eye whenever I was in the kitchen, a what I could only describe as like a black cat uh, running out of the kitchen into like the the dark hallway that's like leads to my laundry room and. <sighs> But I haven't seen that in like over a year. So Dude, do, you have, do you have a ghost cat? I, <laughs> you know, but it's funny because I got my my new dog, uh, Raven, is a pitch black, uh, long haired mini dachshund. Yeah, and and she does ex- exactly that. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if eighty percent of the time I'm seeing Raven, or if in the other twenty percent I'm actually seeing the little ghost cat, and I'm just like, oh, it must be Raven. Uh, yeah. But you so, know, so there's, there's a chance now that it could still be happening. You're just unsure. Exactly. Um, Shit. I had another friend <laughs> who um, who said uh, when we had a slumber party, uh, the friend was very in tune with things, mm-hmm. and the friend said, "You have four spirits that live in your apartment." <laughs> oh no! And I'm like, and, and 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 my friend was like, and they're in the bedroom like right now. And I was like, oh, dope. Sad, uh, I'm going to ask them to leave, though. I'm Thank like, you. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> don't worry. They're all friendly. They're just checking in on us. I'm like, oh, great. I still don't want that. Yeah. Uh, privacy, please. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, there are a few instances in this apartment, but I've never gotten a bad feeling about anything. Uh, yeah. Really, that's the extent of paranormal experiences I've had have all been in this apartment, but none of them have been like malicious or, yeah, or outright scary. Just interesting. That the voice though, that would have fucking sent me. I, I, I explained the way. I think it's funny that like, I'm imagining this like small Italian grandma ghost being like, Oh yeah, that's not how you do the pasta. Um, that's 100% what I was just <laughs> like, kind of like hunched over a little bit, just like a, like a yeah. full on Nana, basically. You never break the pasta. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that made me crack up. Right. And, but then yeah. also another explanation is the building has a bunch of old intercom systems. Like so, I so, hear so a, someone's just listening into you <laughs> or, or something like that. But like I yeah. hear no joke. I hear like a 1920s phone that rings somewhere in the building. Um, and it's like an old, old type of ring. Um, and, and so like these things are all still set up, like in my kitchen, there is an old intercom system from like the forties that, you know, I mean, there might, there might even be like communication tubes. I forgot what they're called, but like, Oh, like the old, like, like for like servants and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, either way, that's still a nightmare, man. I, (laughs) yeah, it's still creepy as hell. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, so so yeah, that's that's kind of my experience. I have a, a few other ones, but they're not nearly as cool as that. Ah. And they took place when I was younger, but we'll we'll leave it at that. We'll we'll leave that for another interview with you. Yeah, no, that those those were good. Uh shit. All right, man. Well I, I appreciate you coming on. I really do. And I appreciate you putting up with my super hoarse, disgusting voice. I'm sure I'm not pleasant to look at right now. <laughs> Hey man, I have my camera off for a reason. Um, all right. Well, is there uh, is there anything you want to plug or say before we end this? Uh, no, I think I think we got it all. I appreciate you taking the time, and let's let's do this more often. Let's do this like 
every time a set comes out, we'll we'll do something like this and talk about the lore and have a good time. Sounds good to me, man. All right. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Do you want to say bye to everyone? All right. Uh, bye, everybody. Thanks for loving MetaZoo and hope to see you at the, uh, the Cryptid Conventions next year. It's going to be a really cool uh, convention circuit. Hell yeah.